Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, uh, thank you. Uh, Before we jump into Acts 6, I have a couple uh, shout-outs I want to do. First of all, uh, happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. Yes, uh, we can clap for them because I... You guys do so much uh, for your kids. Fatherlessness is one of the preventable epidemics that we have uh, in our time. And, and so what you do as you sow into your kids, both your sons and your daughters, uh, is so, so important, uh, having uh, both present dads, but also, also emotionally present dads. And uh, so thank you, dads, for all of that that you do. I, uh, I want to say a special thank you to my dad, so Tony. Uh, thank you. Uh, you are one of the most generous men that I've ever met. Uh, my dad's awesome. I have memories of my dad doing devotionals with our family, uh, which was so special. He taught me about real estate. He taught me what it looks like to love a wife, and I watched him do that with my mom. And he taught me how to break the 2-3 zone, which is also important. Uh, and one of my favorite moments with my dad was he, uh, eight years ago, uh, right before I got married, uh, he prayed with me and some of my friends um, gathered around, and that's one of the most special moments I had uh, with him. And so such a good dad. One of my least favorite moments with him, (laughs) he didn't know that was coming, uh, was many years before that when he took me to a Mexican restaurant, which is the way that you get me to do anything. And I didn't know it was coming, but he had to talk with me there. And I'm sitting there eating chips and salsa, And out of nowhere, it just comes up. And so, um, dads, thanks for all the really good moments that you have with your kids. Also, thanks for like the awkward moments that we need, but are just way less comfortable. Um, And thank you especially to my dad. Uh, Also, so today is a holiday. Uh, It's Father's Day. Yesterday is now an official holiday, Juneteenth. And I want to say a special, and we can clap for that one as too. Uh, Juneteenth celebrates uh, when the final slaves were officially notified um, that they were set free in 1865. It was General Granger. He came to uh, Galveston, Texas, and he announced that news. And I read this, and I thought I would just read this for you. It was not until the Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas on June 19th, 1865, that the state's residents finally learned that slavery had been abolished. And I love this. It says the former slaves immediately began to celebrate with prayer, feasting, song, and dance. And so we not only want to say thank you to our fathers, we want to say uh, that we stand with you to our black brothers and sisters, and we want to celebrate both of these holidays well at City Church. Um, And so we honor you, and we honor this new holiday that our country now celebrates. Okay, that's enough shout-outs, but I wanted to say those things. We are in a series through the book of Acts, and uh, we're going rather slowly. We've been going through this for a couple months now, and I am starting Acts 6 this morning. And, uh, and as Tyler and I were talking and praying a few months ago, 
we thought, okay, what do we want to, as we launch publicly on Easter, what do we want to make the first thing that our church hears? And we felt like, um, man, it would probably be Acts, because we are a new church, and we want to learn from the, the original, the OG new church, uh, as they were growing and going through things, we thought it would be good for us to even learn from them. And so Acts is a book right after the resurrection of Jesus about the first followers of Jesus. And in Acts 6 specifically, this is one I've been looking forward to because it's uh, not necessarily like the most joyful chapter. Uh, we talked a little bit about martyrdom a couple weeks ago, but at the beginning of Acts 6, actually, is the first speed bump, the first large speed bump that the church as a whole hits. And, and that's normal, that's natural in growing populations. And so I'm excited to get into that this morning. So we'll be in Acts 6, going pretty slowly, just verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see how that first church dealt with the first big problem that kind of arose in that community. So verse 1, not going to even get through this verse, but it says, In those days when a number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained, and I'll stop right there. So complaining didn't start in your parents' church. I know, maybe you thought it did. Complaining was actually a part of the first church. Uh, other translations say that there was murmuring. Um, the uh, Greek word, which usually is helpful to find some context, isn't super helpful here, but I thought I would just pronounce it for you. It's gagusmas. Doesn't that just sound like something you don't want in your church? There was complaining, there was murmuring, there was gagusmas. And so it says that there started to be some murmurs, some complaining, and they started to complain about certain things. And man, there are, we've seen this strategy uh, by Satan in, in the church uh, early on in Acts. He's used persecution, he's tried to use corruption, and, uh, and this is probably maybe not the most notoriety, like doesn't get the most notoriety in the church, but it's probably one of the most effective ways to take down a church, is a complaining spirit or some murmuring. And of course, we've all heard, and we should hear, about the pastor that's had an affair, or about the um, persecution that's going on all over the world. Those are big deals. But one of Satan's most effective ways to take down a church is actually through this one right here. And so he tries to not do persecution, not do corruption, but he tries a little bit of distraction. And he tries to distract the church. And what we're going to learn this morning is actually they handled this very very well. Uh, at this church, we talk, and if you've been around, you've heard this, we talk about having four core values, family, mission, presence, formation, and we believe all four of them are equal. But there is one that's first, uh, and it's not more important, but we do think that uh, mission, presence, and formation happen best in the context of family. And uh, when we say family, we don't mean necessarily the nuclear family, although that is included, but we mean friends that become like family. Or on our website, we say uh, family means for us that we commit to radical friendship. And so radical friendship in these kinds of moments where problems arise, radical friendship often confronts. It doesn't run away. It often brings things to light. It doesn't hide in the darkness. And, uh, and so as we study this, I don't think this is a thing at this church, but I would be naive to say it's not never going to be a thing. But a murmuring or a complaining spirit can start, and it starts really innocently. Don't you think this church should have donuts by now? <laughs> Which we probably won't here, because we want to be uh, clean, nice tenants. But it can start there, or wasn't this church better when it was smaller? Or don't you wish it was bigger so that you could like, not meet as many people? 
Or don't you think this church is maybe a little bit clicky? Has it gotten a little bit clicky to you? Um, didn't they used to use the Bible more? I, I think they used to use the Bible less. Isn't the music a little bit too loud? Don't you think that, and it goes on and on and on. And again, I'm saying these things not as what I've heard or not of what is happening, but just as an awareness because in every church, there starts to, or in every community, there starts to be a little bit of a don't you think. And so we see an example of this in Acts 6, a, a don't you think. And as a community grows uh, and we add people to our number, it doesn't just add relationships that you might not get along with, it multiplies them. It's, uh, this is an exponential, you know, compound interest, one of my favorite things, compound relationships, not necessarily always a good thing, because as we grow, you probably will encounter somebody in this community that maybe annoys you, or maybe you don't agree with, or maybe that's just hard for you. <laughs> I hear a little bit of laughing. And, uh, and that's totally natural. We just want to watch the first church and how they handled this because relationships will multiply, uh, but a good, solid community often brings those things to light or deals with them well in the dark, but doesn't keep talking about them. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. James 1.26 says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Strong language from James, as usual. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says, no, 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 it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth. Later on, it talks about what comes out of your mouth is an overflow of the heart. And so there's many things said in the Bible about this complaining spirit. So we're halfway through verse one, and there's already a little bit of a thing, but I do wanna address this, or I wanna talk a little bit about what if there is a real concern? I think this is important because the solution to a healthy community isn't like, don't talk at all. It's how do I accurately share a legitimate concern that I have? Uh, what you don't do is you don't start one of those classic Christian prayer circles. Where it's like, hey, I heard so-and-so struggling, and I'm just telling you this so you can pray. But I heard that, you know those? We don't start those, but what we do is if you have an issue with a person... Matthew 18 is a great chapter of the Bible. It says, Jesus says, go to them one-on-one, -on -one, and then maybe you bring in a, along somebody else, and then maybe you bring along a lot of people, but you don't bring a lot of people in at the beginning. And the harder one, or maybe the one that's less clear in the Bible, is what do you do if you have a legitimate concern about a church? And, uh, and I just wrote down a couple thoughts that I have. Number one, it's, it should be shared. So find one person that you trust, Maybe not one person that always agrees with you, but one person that you trust and ask them a non-leading question, not a don't you think, but hey, I'm having trouble getting connected. Do you, have any, do you have any ideas about why that would be? Not a don't you think this church was better when it was smaller. So ask a non-leading question to somebody that you trust, and if there seems to be some validity there because you're trying to root out, is this me or is this the actual community? If there seems to be some validity there, then uh, the second thing would be find a leader, not necessarily a pastor, we don't control everything here, but maybe it is, but find a leader in the church and share that with them. And, and this is maybe less spiritual wisdom right here, but, and more like EQ, leadership stuff, but how you say something really matters. Because you could have a really good concern shared the wrong way, and it might be hard to hear it. And so what you say really matters, but also how you say something really matters. But here's the last thing. If there seems to be issues, whether in a community or a house group or in a church or in your friend group, 
do say something. Don't just sit on it. Uh, Gaslighting is not the solution. Also, just like, you know, command and control isn't the solution. This is a church that really believes in, like, uh, the delegation or even the decentralization of power, of influence. Uh, Do say something because the best reform, and we know this from all kinds of institutions, the best reform that can happen often comes from within for those that are already dedicated and involved and interested rather than throwing stones from without. And so we want to be a church that does move uh, because, and this is going to be such a surprise to you, but we're not perfect, and uh, not everything that happens here is maybe 100% intentional. Some things just happen, and we want to be a church that really listens to the Spirit, but also gives influence and power to not just a few, but to everyone that would call this place home. That's halfway through verse one, so I'd cancel lunch. Uh, It says that they started to complain, and it says it was the Hellenistic Jews uh, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what was happening is you have two different cultures, one faith, but two different cultures. The church, and this is a big transition, was going from monocultural to bicultural. They were going from monocultural to bicultural, and wouldn't you know it, there started to be a problem in the midst of that. And the problem was that there were Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, Jews that had lived elsewhere in Israel that were now starting to come back to the promised land. A fancy Christian term is the diaspora. It's the spreading out of the Jews. When persecution happened, they went all over the known world. But then in a time of relative peace, they started, some of them started to come back to Jerusalem and to Israel, back to the promised land. But there were already Hebrew Jews, Hebraic Jews, that were here. And so they spoke different languages. And and so they had one thing in common. They had Jesus in common, but almost nothing else. I mean, imagine they're coming from outside of Athens, and they speak Greek, and uh, they've been involved in big world commerce. And then you come to uh, a small town in Jerusalem, and of course, or in Israel, and of course there's going to be big differences. They had one thing in common, but almost nothing else. Uh, just yesterday, I played in a golf tournament, and I got paired randomly with a guy, and we realized we had something very, uh, very important in common as well. We both went to the greatest academic institution known to man. We are both from Hoosier Nation. Yes, go Hoosiers. And uh, I'm talking with this guy, and he was there, and then we realized we have very little else in common. He was there from 93 to 96. I was there from 08 to 12. Uh, He is about 6'5". I'm 5'7". He is African-American. I'm very white. Uh, He did play basketball at IU, and so did I, in intramurals. So we had very little in common. We talked about Bloomington some, but we realized, man, we have this real bond, but almost nothing else is in common. And so the more that we talked, it actually did make me think of this, where there was one thing holding these guys together, but... Uh, most of the other things were not there. And so what was happening is the church was you know, taking care of its people, but the people that lived in Israel, the Hebraic Jews, they had family upon family upon family there. And so when the breadwinner of one family died, there's cousins and siblings and sons and daughters that could take care of the widow. And what happens when somebody from outside of Athens moves in, a couple, and the breadwinner dies? You can see the problem. 
There's no family around to take care of them. And so there was started to be an issue of, hey, our people aren't getting taken care of enough. And there was a problem that needed to be solved. Now, I want to read verse 2, and this is in a new translation. I call this, it was, came out in 2021. It's the Marlin International Version. It says, the Hellenistic Jews left the church because they felt the church had irreparably hurt them never to return to Jesus or give him a chance again, while the Hebraic Jews hardened their hearts, dug in their heels, claimed religious superiority, and kept doing things the way they had always done them. Isn't that probably the way things would go in 2021 if there was a problem? Is the people would get offended and say, look, I'm done with this. And the people that remained or the people that are in power said, you know, I'm going to keep doing the way that things the way that they've always been done. And that's usually the case in the church. Now, for real, what was happening is usually it's the minority sees the injustice first. And so the Hellenistic Jews start to see there's something wrong here. And that's not necessarily the problem. The problem becomes with how the people that are in power respond and the people that are accusing respond. And I think what we can learn, and we'll go quicker from two to seven now, we can learn something really, really powerful about the way both the accuser and the accusee are responding to the problem. So real verse two, it says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among them, from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to ministry of the word. Now, verse 2, here's what it's not saying. It's not saying that preaching and prayer are more important than serving. But they are saying, look, we know what we're supposed to do. There's a calling on our life. And also, there's a calling on the church to do those things. We should delegate. We should decentralize. We should start to spread out a little bit of the influence that's happening. And the, this is when the church makes its first big growth, first big move towards becoming an established institution. And they start to leverage and strategize and specialize. And the leaders of the church recognize there are callings on certain people and there are giftings on certain people that not everyone can do. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he writes exactly about this thing. He says, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So what's happening in Acts 6 is the exact same thing that Paul writes about years later, is that we're made to do this together. And the church best operates when we're moving in different giftings and talents that we have, but also moving as one cohesive unit. Also, I want you to notice, uh, if we could go back to verse 3 and 4, it, sa- it says that the apostles actually started to give up authority. And this is one of the first examples we see of servant leadership. They see a need that needs to be met, and they're fine with giving up the power to somebody else to do it. They give up influence, they give up some of their budget, they give up authority so that the right thing can be done even if it's not by them. And again, I want you to now watch how the people responded to that move of leadership because leadership really matters in the church. 
It says in verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, Parmenas, thank you, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests, this is huge, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And, uh, and what we know, these are all Greek names that are read here. Doesn't necessarily mean all of them were Greek, but statistically, some of them at least were. And so we see the Hebrew Jews say, man, this church is more diverse than it used to be. We want, we want to empower that. And so we see them start to pivot their leadership to bring on people that reflected the community that they were serving and the community um, that they were trying to reach out to in Jerusalem. It wasn't just Hebrews anymore. It was people that spoke Greek and it was people that moved all over the world. And good leadership always pivots to reflect the community that they're in. Also notice it says at the very end that a number of priests became obedient to the faith. And that means they weren't just moved. Priests would not have just been moved by acts of generosity. They must have been intellectually convinced to give up the thing that they were in leadership for to come serve under this new move of God. They must have been intellectually convinced by the teaching, by the doctrine. This is why these kinds of things matter. They must have been convinced through Scripture that this Jesus really is the one worth following. They'd gone one direction, and it says a number of the priests started to turn the other way and to give their life to Jesus. Now, what can we learn from Acts 6? Um, As much of a joke as the Marlin International Version is, uh, we can learn that I, I wrote that, and it's like, I think that this is likely how some of these things would have played out in 2021. And we can learn that, man, slight offenses... And some are big, but slight offenses in the church aren't worth abandoning the church for. And we can learn that even when the church, the institution, hurts people, it's never Jesus. It's never Jesus. And I feel like I've heard lots of stories of people that said, I used to go to this church, but then something happened. And so, yeah, I'm just kind of agnostic now. And first of all, I wish that the church would get a second chance. Second of all, even if they don't, I know Jesus didn't do that. And sometimes we equate the two, an imperfect institution and a very, very perfect God. But what we see in Acts 6 is there was a good church that had a legitimate problem that was then fixed both swiftly and correctly. And the church that's in Acts 6-7 is better than the church that was in Acts 6-1. And it only happens in a cross-shaped world where there can be conflict and you actually come out on the other end better for it. Healthy conflict often can lead to a healthier community. Healthy conflict can often lead to healthier relationships. And and here's the last thing I'll say, at least about Acts 6, before I transition into something else. And this is a doozy. Um, We're a new church, and uh, some people we've just met in the community, and you didn't have a church before. But if you did have a church before, um, we think this place is worthy of your investment. I show up every Sunday because I'm pretty convinced Uh, But if you left your last church because you were really believing in what God was doing here, it's amazing. Love that. But if you left your last church because uh, more of hurt uh, and just wanted to try something new because the last place hurt you, 
Um, I'd still love to have you here. I think, that that's, I think this is still a good place for you. But I really want to encourage you to reconcile with that last place and to go to them. And maybe it's not even something you have to have a conversation with. Maybe it's just a reconciliation that needs to happen in your own mind and in time with the Lord to ask to forgive them and even ask the Lord to forgive you for harboring that. But it also could mean um, a hard conversation of saying, hey, I've gone somewhere else, but I want you to know here's why I left. Uh, Because it seems like that's the kind of church that Jesus was establishing early on. The kind of church that had a good, hard conversation if necessary uh, and blessed a place that they were leaving. So this is Acts 6 at the beginning. And a couple weeks ago, Tyler preached through Acts 5 and he left off in Acts 5.41 and, uh, and so I hate to do this, but I want to end actually with Acts 5.42, the very last verse before we jump into Acts 6, because there is not a verse in the Bible that has influenced the structure of this church more than Acts 5.42. It says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It says that the early church was in the temple courts and they met from house to house. So the early church, the early followers, started a church that had two front doors. And it's the model that we've adopted based on this verse and a few others in Acts 2. But the early church wasn't just a large gathering and then some ministries off of that. The early church said, no, we're we're meeting uh, both in the temple courts, which could house hundreds, and we're meeting uh, from house to house, which could hold tens. And they said, we feel like both of these are worth investing in. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit Uh, Before worship starts again, we're going to talk a little bit about house groups and the importance of uh, being in that kind of smaller community. And of course, if I was at a house group, I'd say the importance of being on a Sunday, but I'm here and you're there. And so I figure you're at least somewhat convinced of the large gathering. I want to make a case for why it's important to also uh, be in a smaller community as well, because the way we've designed this church, not every church, uh, is that if you're not involved in both, I think it's still going to be great, but you will not get the full experience or the fullness of what City Church OTR has to offer if you're not involved in two front doors. And we feel like we made a costly decision in some ways to say, no, we really want to set up these two as equal um, because now we're asking for two one-and-a-half-hour slots of your week uh, on a Sunday morning or a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Uh, But we feel like this is the model that both the Lord's called us to and the model that we see at least in Acts. Because normal church, uh, or maybe more traditional church, and this isn't wrong, uh, is more Sunday-driven, and then you could get involved in men's ministry or uh, outreach there or kids there. or you can. I mean, and there's lots of things, but it all hubs around just this Sunday gathering. And we've said, man, we really want to do all of those things, but we know two things are going to be absolutely equal in what we do. And it's not that you get in a house group once you're ready to go, like, be more serious about your faith. Sometimes that's what a small group is in other church. But a house group is a true front door uh, that welcomes people in just the same as a Sunday morning. Um, It's kind of like high school science class. You didn't see the high school science class reference coming. Where you had a lecture portion and a lab portion. All one science class, but you do two different things. It's all one church, but there's two equal parts that go into that. And the great thing when we gather into house groups and what we see from Acts 5.42 is there's real life change that happens in a living room. 
And maybe it's sparked on a Sunday morning with really good worship or hopefully a convicting message or you see somebody or you get prayer at the end. But most life change happens in the circles of our living room or around a dining room table. And maybe it's just started on a Sunday morning. And the great thing about being in a community that's smaller is you actually get to learn from people, from more people than you would here. Uh, Here you hear from a couple worship leaders and somebody that speaks, and we really, really believe in this. We think this is so worth it. I mean, best of luck getting worship like this in your house group. But also, you get to hear from 10 or 12 other people in a living room, and we believe that that's where the rubber really hits the road with house groups. I was convinced of this a few years ago. I was living in Las Vegas and had some friends come out, and they do uh, house church movements all over the world, and they did a training with our church, and, and they're, big, I mean, they're saying, this is, the way, this is the way the church is going. It's going all over the world, and this is how it's spreading. It's got to be in living rooms. And uh, I didn't want to write them off because I trusted them, but I also didn't want to just say, okay, I'm going to shift this whole church to do this model. And so Catherine and I talked, and we said, let's give this a year, and let's really try this. If this is real then we want to do things this way, not the other way. And so we started a little house church in our apartment complex, still leading this church and Sunday morning and all that, but we started this something here, much smaller, started to invite some friends that live there and just neighbors that we met. And, and two people that started coming to that group, one of them, uh, her name was Leah, and Leah led worship here a few weeks ago. Leah's like so in for Jesus. I mean, loves him so much, like listens to his voice, reads his word. She's like a 601 Christian, not a 101. Not, I mean, she is in, all in. She's a missionary. She leads worship, and she joined this group along with uh, a neighbor I met, ironically, talking about IU basketball. Uh, I just saw him in the gym uh, named Michael, and Michael came in, and so we had this first group, and Michael came in, and so did Leah, and Michael was pretty sure... He was a Jehovah's Witness, but he wasn't quite positive. He wasn't sure if there was anything out there. So we did it. We started, and we gave it a year. And a year later, Michael gets baptized and starts to follow Jesus, and then his girlfriend starts to give her life to Jesus, and we baptize her as well. Amazing. But also, and and Michael would have said, and Michael would still say, that was the greatest group I've ever been a part of. That was the most life-changing year that I've ever had. The crazy thing is, Leah would say, I think, something similar. She would say, this is one of the best communities that I've ever been in. And so how do you have people that are in vastly different stages of life, vastly different areas of their faith, come to a house group where we mostly just ate together, prayed together. We talked some uh, about scripture. Uh, We played Saint volleyball together. We, um, and the big one was we worshiped together. How do you have experiences like that, that both of these people, very, very different in every way, would say, yeah, that group changed my life. See, everyone wants um, the early church church. Everybody that's following Jesus would read Acts 2 and say, I just wish it was like, I just wish it was so simple. I just wish that we had that kind of church. Every church, every, everyone wants an early church church, but rarely are we willing to give up the things that make that happen. Said another way, if we want what they had, we often have to do what they did. That's a good word. If we want what they had, we have to do what they did. And that spans more than just this right here. But if we want the kind of church that was vibrant and growing and working through problems in a healthful way, 
If we want what they had, then it will cost us something. And at least for us here, we're just saying, yeah, it's probably being involved in both of these things. If we want what they had, we have to be willing to do what they did. And, uh, and as far as joining a house group and being really committed to that community, um, busyness is going to tell you, you just do not have time for this. Secularism is going to tell you that it's not worth it. Careerism is going to tell you that you should probably just work instead that night. Flakiness is going to say, if you go one out of every two or three, that'll probably be enough. And comfort's going to say, uh, sweatpants and Netflix are much, much better use of your time. But, I got an amen there. <laughs> but Peter and James and Philip and Timon would actually argue the latter. They would probably, if they were here today, they would say, no, 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 this is really worth that extra time on your weeknight. This community, investing in the house-to-house, is so important. It's one of the things that launched us to be the church that we were. I think if they were here, they'd make a strong case for, no, guys, we can't just do the temple court thing. Peter talks way too long, and we never get to have anything to say. We don't get to really pray with each other. We never even get to eat in the temple courts. I think they would say, no, we, we love that large gathering, but man, where the rubber hits the road, at least for us, here in Acts 6, Acts 5, they'd say the rubber hit the road when I was at Philip's house and he had us over, or when we gathered in um, so-and-so's living room. Man, it was crazy when Philip prayed and uh, Timon got healed of this thing. That happened just in, in his house one night. I think if they were here, they would make a strong, strong case for two front doors are just the right number and not just being involved in one. And they would likely change that real community and real life change happened in their living rooms more often than happened in the temple courts. And so uh, we're going to go into worship, if the band could come back up. And, uh, and I'm going to come back uh, after this, and we're going to have a chance to really respond and talk a little bit more about house groups and what's happening and how we can join them. Uh, but I do want, want to just like sit with this question of is it, is it worth really giving you know, an hour and a half, two hours of a weeknight? Is it really worth investing in a community where you've got to have those awkward 101 small talk conversations at the beginning because everybody wants to know who you are, where you're from, what you do? Um, but I want to weigh that and I want to say, yeah, I think, I think it is. And so we're going to talk more about house groups after this. Um, but as we go into worship, as always, there's the Lord's table available um, in the back right and the back left. And uh, we take that all on our own for anybody that is a follower of Jesus. We um, love every time we gather to have that available. There's also prayer, uh, just people that pray kind of behind these two panels. Uh, if you want to get prayer, we love that. And then also I just want to encourage you, um, this is a time every Sunday that you can respond however you want within reason. Um, whether you need to come up here and kneel or you want to go into the back and walk around or praise uh, or worship. Um, but we want to give you freedom to respond to God however you want. And, uh, and we want to say yes to whatever Jesus has for us. And this morning through Acts 6, we think that that looks like both big and small communities.